How proud was I when, as a little kid, I memorized the so-called Negro National Anthem, which became the Black National Anthem in my lifetime, as Negro went to Black, lift every voice and sing. With poetry by NAACP leader James Weldon Johnson, set to music by his brother John Rosamond Johnson, the stirring ballad was sung for the very first time by 500 school-aged children in Jacksonville, Florida on February 12, 1900, to celebrate President Lincoln's birthday. Say the words with me if you know them. This first verse, lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmony of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the roaring sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has those children in my mind's eye, children of recently emancipated black people with strong backs and expansive hearts, singing a song of hope as resistance to the crushing weight of the white supremacy at work in their lives. Can you imagine those little babies? A song that expressed in the face of vicious white rage, black grief, tenacity, resilience, and joy. And here we are over a century later, and quite simply, we have not overcome. Amen? Amen. What I call whiteness, white rage, white entitlement, that sense of superiority is hardwired into our institutions and not easily shaken. We, we are who we were designed to be. The systems are doing what they do because they were designed to do what they do. Designed to disenfranchise, designed to leave out, designed to dismiss, designed to denigrate. Designed to dispose of lives that were not seen to be valuable. Designed to do what they do. And today, uh, February 19th, 2023, I think the question is, who are we trying to be now? Who are we trying to be now? That, I think, is an existential question with which this nation needs to wrestle. Last week, I was screaming, and I was talking long. And I don't want to scream and talk long today. <laughs> but I do. Yes, I was, Charles, right? But I want to say, we can't keep going this way. It does not work, right? It's broken. And how are we going to fix it? When I think about this mountaintop experience that Moses had, I mean, he was leading a people who had been enslaved. 
He was leading a people who had been dispossessed, dissed, disposed of, disregarded. He who had been in the house of Pharaoh, but kind of plucked out by God to go do a bold new thing on the earth, if you will. And he goes, you know, following across the wilderness with all the folks, he ends up being called by God up onto the mountain. And this mountaintop calling, God up there looking all fiery and scary, but, Mo but, but Moses up in there anyway, talking to God. This mountaintop experience transformed Moses. It transformed him. He got to be so shiny that the people didn't really like him that much anymore. They were a little bit resentful that he was selected and elected to go up and have the close encounter with the holy and come on back with the beautiful Noxima skin. Right? <laughs> Do y'all remember Noxima? It, it, had, it had a little fade quality going on for black folks, so I, I stopped using it because I, I wasn't trying. I wasn't trying to be lighter anymore. You know what I'm trying to say. That's another sermon for another time. But anyway, here was Moses up on the mountaintop, all with the external, with the external, anyway, symbol of having been transformed by God. But God's intention was for Moses to go to the mountaintop and bring that transformation down to all the people, right? And you know how we are, human beings. You know, somebody's shiny and sparkly. We might not want the gift that they have to give us. Not anybody in this room. That's not, our issue. That's not our issue. But in some conversations, in some rooms, people feel resentful and jealous and envious and whatnot if somebody's shiny and they're not. Again, I feel like, Natalie, we should, we should do a whole talk, you and me, Amira, on shininess. And it should be called shininess and resistance to such a thing. Wouldn't that be great? Shininess and resistance. But let's I'll do it again later. Um, so, so, so Moses does go up to the mountaintop and brings down gifts for the people, tablets of commands for the people, rules for the people, law for the people. Not, not law to make the people feel uncomfortable, but actually law to help them to feel comfortable, law to help them learn how to relate to each other in community. And what do they do? Paul says it this way. As soon as we get a law, we try to figure out how not to do it, right? You get a law, and you be like, oh, what's that Really, well, God didn't mean that, right? So how do you make a loophole? <laughs> God says, don't eat pork. And you're like, well, I don't think he meant ribs. Let's do it. <laughs> God said, don't wear mixed fabric. And, and we say, well, in 2023, you need some mixed fabric because your body is not the same. Your face ain't shiny and your body's flabby. So that, that happens as well. So anyway, all the ways that the people try to make a loophole to the law because they don't understand the intention is to build community. And in fact, the law becomes the thing with which we disrupt community. Are you with me? The same law meant to give us wholeness and community is then used to kick somebody's butt because they're not doing this and put somebody out because they're not doing that and don't love the person that looks like you because you're not supposed to, like all the don't know mo's end up being from the law that God ended for good. Mountaintop moment meant to help us have community. And I can imagine there are times even when Moses himself thought his shininess and his sparkling Nagzima complexion set him apart from all the rest of the people. Because it is a human trait that sometimes we 
need to feel distance from one another. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel special. It makes us feel selected. It makes us feel standing out. It boosts our self-esteem. It makes us feel like we merited something that somebody else doesn't have. And pretty soon, we're making a club of all the people that are shining skin just like ours, and nobody else belongs. Are you with me? So the mountaintop moment actually descends us into a certain kind of hell, if that's what we do with it. It breaks what God intended us to be, which is to be one organism, one human family. So I see those children singing this song, um, full of faith that the dark past has brought us. I see them singing a song, standing on the strong backs of their parents, and I see them growing up in a nation in which their shininess was never acknowledged fully. And I think to myself, what is the mountaintop experience that we're actually called to have, all of us? And I think about these late night talks I have with Mama Ruby, Mama Ruby Sales, who says that there's no mountaintop experience except for the higher consciousness that we get when we understand that we are actually one people. Can I say that again? There's no mountaintop experience, Mama Ruby says, except for the higher consciousness we get when we finally come to understand that we are actually one people. For her, the mountaintop is a little Buddhist I'm not Buddhist, but it's a little Buddhist of coming to understand the oneness of the people, of the human, that we are one organism, all of us pulsing in one direction towards surviving and thriving. This higher consciousness actually is the humility that helps us to know that I can't be who I am fully until you are who you are fully, that my hungry belly makes your stomach growl that the child that has no clean water in Mississippi makes us all thirsty, that when a senior citizen in Appalachia can't pay her bills, none of us is fully well. The higher consciousness that Mama Ruby is talking about is Ubuntu. Now, I'm going to tease my staff. There was a time when a couple of our staff were saying, all we talk about is Ubuntu, 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 Ubuntu. What does it mean? I won't look anybody in the eye, but you know who you are. So <laughs> We're like, what does that mean and why do we say it all the time? And I thought to myself, that's a real critique. If we can be using language that we don't fully unpack, it starts feeling kind of flat and like a patina and like a, a, a shell. Uh, so I want to talk about Ubuntu for just a few minutes as a mountaintop experience. Just to impress you, I, I learned how to say these Zulu words, so I'm going to say it. <laughs> Ubuntu, Ingubuntu, Ingubantu. You want to try it? Gamuntu and Gabuntu and Gabantu is Zulu, sub-Saharan African for a human is a human through other humans. There's no single word for human. There's no human. It's humans. And it is no coincidence that this language, this custom, this Zulu expression of Ubuntu comes to be in the cradle of civilization. It comes to be in sub-Saharan Africa, where all of science now proves that the human beings come from. 
right? All of it. You look in the National Geographic, you look at all of the scientific literature, and there was a wet plain, a wet plain in which the, I don't know, the little spermy looking things turned into frogs, that turned into lizards, come on, you know what I'm talking about, and then stood up on four legs and turned into a humanoid and then turned into human. This is what, this is what evolution teaches us. And that in that plain, where if you go now to, to Namibia, if you go now to the cradle of civilization, you'll find the museum where the bones of Eve are, where the first human, the first human humans stood up out of the cave and walked into the light and were like, yo, who's going to cook? Because I'm hungry. And they started dividing up labor, okay. All right, Natalie's gonna cut. And who's gonna sing while she's cooking? Okay, Wayne, Wayne gonna sing. Deborah Wayne, all right, cool. Who's gonna watch the children? That's Laura, that's Laura Koga, okay. Why, because she's a therapist and she knows what kids do, okay. But they, they understood how much they needed each other to survive and they survived and thrived because they split up the work and they shared their resources and they acted like Jeremy's life depends on Edna's, because it did, and because it does. It does. If, if Ubuntu had sunk in, like if it didn't get to be about how shiny your skin was and whether God had picked you first, and the people, the humans, the humans kept understanding that we are one organism separated by a fake thing called skin. If it had sunk in, it could never have been that people got on ships and came to this land and discovered it. Because they would have seen the beautiful people on the land as, say it with me, human. If, if even the sub-Saharan African people didn't start feeling competitive and limited resources, and your people are not actually my people when they're actually exactly the same people, and started finding a ways for physiognomy and language to differentiate them. You're shiny or you're not that shiny. We could never have had the Atlantic slave trade because the people would have said, you can't take my brother from his land if If it had remained true that my life and your life have to flourish at the same time, or nobody's flourishing, I don't know. Those little black kids wouldn't have had to sing Stony the Road We Trod, Bitter the Chastening Rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died because their hope wouldn't have had to die on the stony road that was American chattel slavery's legacy. I just think our hearts need to break a little bit more for each other. I just think, middle, our particular spiritual gift 
of knowing how to hang out in the same room with each other this long every Sunday and all week long in community to walk past the white space, past the Chinese space, past the Dominican space, past the African space, to this synagogue, to sit in a room with people who don't look like you and don't always think like you, and to have your black pastor with their dreadlocks flying talk about racism almost every Sunday. <laughs> and some <laughs> I just think, I just think the real mountaintop moment happens when we search our souls and we say, I see you, which is what the Zulu people say, Salbona, I see you, Salbona, I see you. And the response is, Sincona, with a click that I can't do, Sincona, I exist, you see me into existence, I see you into existence, I see you in your incompleteness and gorgeousness, in your struggling and winning, in your falling down and getting up, and you see me as your sister doing the same, this is how we will heal this nation of, of racism. This is how we will rediscover Ubuntu as a spiritual practice. This is how, this is how we earn over and over again the recognition the King Center gives us of being beloved community. We can heal this world of what's broken, but in order to do it, we have to recognize our own power. It starts with us. It starts with us. It starts with choices we make. It starts with books we read. It starts with what we share and what we don't share. It starts with consuming, participating in each other's stories, blues and jazz and poetry. American classical music is blues and jazz. American classical music. It, it, it starts with swimming in the, in the river with each other. It's, it starts with empathy because we actually know each other's stuff and we decide that it's, we're curious about it and it's fascinating and we're gonna keep on listening to it. I cannot tell you how important it is to me that you are who you are. It just blows my mind. It blows my mind. The Mexican-American musician making all the gospel sounds happen, John. <laughs> That's Ubuntu. Look at that choir. Stand up for me, choir. I used to direct the gospel choir at Princeton Theological Seminary. We could never get our white people to clap on beat. But we tried, I'm just saying, you are leaps and bounds, okay? They were, they were like, and. <laughs> but, but, we had, but we had good sounds. That's Ubuntu. People worry about appropriating culture or do we celebrate culture? It's Ubuntu when the multi-ethnic church celebrates Asian 
American heritage in May. That, that's Ubuntu. It, it's Ubuntu. It's Ubuntu when our staff is diverse. It's Ubuntu when we value you all don't know Mira yet, but we value that we hired an international multi-ethnic woman who's lived in many continents and who brings lenses, therefore, from many cultures to bear on the work that she's doing. That's Ubuntu. That's Ubuntu. It's Ubuntu when black women run this house, damn it. It's Ubuntu. Come on now. <laughs> And you are, you are, you are the Ubuntu people. You know, you know, that's why you're here. That I can't be fully who I'm called to be until you're fully who you are. That's why you're here with your shiny Nagzima complexion, <laughs> having been lit from inside by Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And we are here for all of us to make an anti-racist world in which no matter who we love or how we love them or how we look or how we make a living or whether we call God God or love or What's his name or what's her name or nothing at all because God doesn't really care. That's why we're here. This is the mountaintop. Amen. Wow.